when we started, we didn't have any competition. Uh, when we sold the company, we must have had 100 competitors all over the world. And our fans sold for about twice what anybody else's did. And the reason that we were able to to uh, to charge higher prices, uh, I think, was the culture and and the brand and the fact that that we made a big deal about spending money on uh, taking care of the customers. You are listening to One More Question, a podcast by the people of Nice Work. One of the things we often catch ourselves saying is, can we ask you one more question? This podcast is all about sharing that, the best conversations we've had with significant brand builders, experts, and communicators. The people that we've encountered as we go about our work of making people care by creating impactful brands. Season three is focused on unpacking the topic of branding. We talk to people who design brands, own brands, build brands, and even those who hire for brands. We explore what brands look like and how they behave across a wide spectrum, from world-renowned brands with massive budgets like Spotify, to companies that are making big waves on small budgets. If you're looking for insights on the best ways to invest in and build your brand, this is the season for you. I'm your host, Ross Drakes. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to Carrie Smith. Carrie is a career entrepreneur. He founded Big Ass Fans in the 1990s, and without taking a cent of investment, grew the company to over $300 million a year in turnover. He sold the company for half a billion dollars and kept up with his penchant for naming. His new company, Unorthodox Ventures, seeks to solve the problems with all the venture capital that he was offered on his journey. We talk about how to differentiate, how important knowing your customer is, and what makes a brand that people are willing to pay a premium for. Enjoy. So, Kerry, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast. I really, really appreciate you taking the time. Well, thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate that. Um, I, I suppose we should probably start at the at the biggest point, which is um, the big ass fans. Um, you built a, a brand or a company that sold um, for for quite a large large sum of money, and and I think it's interesting. You know, when we were talking before I hit the record button, you were saying that that when you look for for new companies to invest in in a new venture, you look for like success probability. And I suppose you went into fans, which is something that's probably quite hard to differentiate and quite hard to, to you know, build value in outside of the actual product that you're selling. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about how you, you created that value in that, that, that company, Big Ass Fans? Well, I think that um, we were able to uh, differentiate our fans, which were very, very large fans. I mean, these fans <clears throat> range, excuse me, up to six meters in diameter. So they're very large fans. And that was a differentiating factor. In addition, uh, in addition to that, I had spent time, uh, actually, uh, over 10 years working in the market that I, that I recognized could use the technology, which I think is important um, because I knew... I knew who my customers were going to be, and I knew what my customers or potential customers were interested in. And in the States, uh, there are a lot of manufacturing facilities and distribution centers, and especially in the South, uh, that are not 
tempered at all, aren't air conditioned, aren't properly ventilated, very difficult places uh, within which to work. And especially in summer, obviously. And uh, I recognized that there was a market for fans because fans are something uh, that people imagine that they understand. I mean, fans are something that people are, are familiar with. And in that sense, um, uh, a commodity. In that sense, though, I think it's important when you're, when you're thinking about uh, a particular product uh, to offer to the market, that it helps if the market, if the people within the market have some, even if it's vague, but have some understanding of what, how the product works. I, I had in the past worked with trying to explain uh, uh, radiant uh, heat flow and, and, uh, uh, and uh, to the market. And that was very difficult in terms of, uh, in terms of selling a product. So it has to be something that's, it's easy enough, and that's what that was. Now, we offered the fans because the fans, the 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 the, the facilities in which I was familiar, are all huge. I mean, these are very large places. They range up to a million square feet. Um, they're very very large, uh, uh, acres and acres of, of building, and so it seemed obvious that. Um, that a larger fan was uh, was an answer here because you have these very large spaces. You have a lot of people working within them. The alternative were smaller fans, and of course, all of these companies had smaller fans all over the place. And that was a uh, energy. Um, they used a lot of energy because they were very small motors, or relatively small motors, fractional motors, and uh, and they cover just. Normally, they only cover one or two individuals. And so what we offered was a fan that was completely out of the way. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't stumble over it. You couldn't move it. Uh, that covered um, 10,000 square feet and more of space on the floor uh, and uh, that used a one to a two horsepower motor. So a, so a very small. Uh, amount of energy uh, compared to either smaller fans, a multitude of smaller fans, or air conditioning, and so it was something that that fit together. It wasn't um, it wasn't rocket science, but uh, interestingly enough, when we started, there were people that looked at these fans, engineers, and there was either there was one of two uh, reactions, and that was on the one side is oh my god. I mean, I knew I get it. I'm so sorry I didn't do this myself. And on on the on the other side um, was um, that uh, they couldn't understand why we were making fans so large. I mean, they I had more than one engineer tell me that if I had uh, if I really wanted to succeed, that I would make fans that were three feet in diameter. And that I could put in a wall. Now that was the answer. And it's like as if there are not thousands of those things out there already. But again, an engineer uh, doesn't know that much about markets. But but and, and so it was interesting the reactions we got. But but again, uh, it was pretty obvious when you when you stood under the fan what was going on because it's uh, 
it makes a huge amount of difference to people. And now the, the, the name, it seems quite obvious, uh, but how did, you, how did you end up with such a, a clear name that tells people exactly what it is that you do, but at the same time is quite memorable and quite easy for, for people to, to talk about? Well, we're lucky, but but when we started, um, uh, we called the the company HVLS Fan Company, and that, that just rolls right off your tongue. And you could, <laughs> you're probably wondering why did they ever change? Um, but uh, it, what happened was when we we started the company, and and we were called HVLS High Volume Low Speed Fan Company, and. Uh, prospective customers would call us on the phone and uh, we would answer HVLS fan company. And uh, there would be a pause. They'd say, are are you those guys that make those big ass fans? And it became obvious to us fairly quickly that that was a much better name. And uh, it's a little cheeky, uh, but, but, we realized that based on our customers and who our customers were and their, uh, they were uh, maintenance people, maintenance supervisors, maintenance directors, engineers, people that are hands-on, that are, that are um, normally don't wear uh, uh, suits and ties, that they would think that that was pretty freaking funny. And so we changed the name. And we got all sorts of feedback, all sorts of pushback which was great. I mean, absolutely great because there were people that are, Oh my God, this is the worst thing. I mean, you're corrupting the youth of America, which is great uh, because then we can answer that. And, and it, I think it's fascinating that there's always a group of people and you're lucky if you find a name or a concept that uh, upsets a certain number of people. Now you don't want to upset 50% of the population because that ain't going to work for you. But, um, but I think we upset somewhere fewer than 10% or less than 10% of the population, closer to five. And the other 95% of the population was like, those people are crazy. I mean, this is dumb. I mean, this is a great name. What are you worried about? We, we had a lot of uh, we had what we called a wall of shame for a long time in the office where people would write us letters and tell us how bad we were. And um, an awful lot of them um, involved uh, the fact that uh, we were using the word ass, obviously. And uh, they would tell us that they were good Christians, that they went to church every Sunday. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, and that we were wrong. We were we were terrible people. But on the other side of it, what those letters, because, of course, we I mean, we didn't show anybody's names or anything, but we kept that confidential. But but on the other side of the aisle, there were lots of people that wrote us letters, many, many more people that wrote us letters that said, oh, my God, I go to church every every Sunday. And, you know, um, uh, Mary uh, wrote an ass into Jerusalem uh, or Bethlehem, wherever. Uh, and uh, the word ass is mentioned 46 times in the in the King James Bible. And, and it's like all of this stuff. And we think you're great. We think you're making a great product. Don't be put off by these other people. So it was one of those things that we created a controversy or the controversy was created 
<clears throat> and answered by the market. And that was, we were just in the middle going, what's this all about anyway? That's going so on. it was a good I think it's brilliant getting, getting people to talk about fans. Yeah, Industrial exactly. fans is not the easiest yeah, challenge in the, in the world to solve. And this is a very simple, elegant way of, of solving that. It was simple. And I might add, we didn't have any money when we started this. And we didn't raise any money. I mean, we just did it. We bootstrapped it. And we didn't have a lot of money to spend on advertising or anything else. And all of this was just generated uh, from nothing, from plain cloth. So it was it was very inexpensive. Valuable. So now how much of the, the, the price, the ultimate price that you got for the company, how much of that do you think was the 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 actual value of, you know, the physical assets that you created and the customer base and how much of it do you think came down to the brand equity, the value that you'd created and the perception that people held about the company? I think that the majority, though, the, the majority of what we got uh, uh, in payment was for the brand because I mean, we made money, but honestly, we did not make that much money. And because, as I said, uh, running the company, I wasn't especially interested in making. I mean, that just wasn't. I mean, we had uh, at one time we had over a thousand people and it you're you're building a community. And that whole piece of, of having a company and running a company was much more interesting than counting the money at the end of the day or at the end of the year. Additionally, and part of that was we, as I, <clears throat> I think I mentioned to you before, that we paid on average uh, 40% more in wages on average uh, than, than uh, other companies in the state in which we work, the state of Kentucky, and 30% more than was average for the whole U.S. It wasn't as if we were cutting corners and scrimping. But I think that uh, that helped build the brand of the company. Additionally, those people were involved and very involved in building and designing and engineering uh, a much, much better product. Uh, and our focus and their focus was on the customer and the customer experience. And it was something that we uh, that we continually I mean, we talked to every single every single customer that we had, and you're talking about tens of thousands of people over a period of years, to see how we could, and the point was to see how we could make the experience better, whatever it was, how we can improve it. Because at the end of the day, the experience that the customer, I mean, we're making a fan, okay? So we we it's metal, it's steel, it's aluminum, it's bolts and nuts. That's what it is. And airfoil. Um, but when he gets to the, the customer's facility, everything that's wrong with it, and I don't mean anything was wrong with the fan because it wasn't. I, we, we were meticulous. But in terms of the installation, how easily that went, I mean, the entire, as, all aspects we had to pay attention to. And that's the sort of thing that people told us that, hey, you know, it uh, you're sending us uh, all the bolts in, in one big bag. Uh, you know, you can do better than that. And so at, we started putting bolts in blister packs so that you could see where every single bolt went. And we had all the, every, all the instructions printed on uh, the blister packs. 
because it turned out that uh, that people would uh, leave the instructions. They would take the the pack of nuts and bolts and the fans up on the on the lifts, and they'd leave the instructions below. And you know, so they start thinking about different ways to install a fan, which you are not interested in having them do because <laughs> these fans weighed north of 300 pounds and they're uh they're operating 30 feet over you know people's heads we never had any problem we never ever ever hurt anybody with one of our fans and never had a problem with that and i think one of the reasons is we were very very careful about everything and so i mean from my perspective uh we sold the the fan company um oh garnered a, a a premium price because of the efforts we put into the manufacturer development of the fan. And additionally, the, the fact that the people that were helping me do this were well paid and taken care of and they understood what we were trying to do. I mean, I it was it was a place we had several activities, committees, we did all sorts of things, not just for I mean, we, we had a lot of kids that came just from college, but we also had people that had families. We had people that, I mean, you know, of all ages. That's one thing about manufacturing is you get a, a real slice of the community. Oh, uh, and uh, so we not only had volleyball games, we had canoe trips. We had, because we had, <laughs> we, I, I always thought it was funny. I, I the only time I would ever go bowling on a Saturday morning, which sounds horrible when it's the sun's out, um, uh, was when we had uh, bowling events, and they were for the kids of the employees that the, at the fan company, and it was just an absolute hoot um, to have all these people in doing these activities giving everybody uh you know make sure everybody had fun and of course if you've got a bunch of kids together you've got to have pizza and all sorts of stuff and the only thing i learned from that was if you want to eat pizza with 50 kids you better get there first uh, otherwise you're not having any pizza <laughs> you wouldn't want to touch that pizza but um anyway uh, I think that that it was obviously the brand. I mean, we had 200 and something patents. I mean, we did a lot of work um, to ensure that our our customers thought that we hung the moon. And the advantage of that on the other side is that we our the prices of our fans were typically twice. I mean, when we started, we didn't have any competition. Uh, when we sold the company, we must have had 100 competitors all over the world and our fans sold for about twice what anybody else's did and the reason that we were able to to uh, to charge higher prices uh, I think was the culture and and the brand and the fact that that we made a big deal about spending money on uh, taking care of the customers on making sure that we had the best products on making sure that and this sounds odd, I guess, maybe, uh, but making sure if you bought a fan, that was the last fan you were going to buy. Because these fans, I mean, you can build anything so it comes apart, falls apart, fails in five years. But we were trying to build something uh, that was going to last, you know, 50 years. And some of the fans, I mean, I'm in Austin, Texas right now, and 
some of the first vans we ever sold are in Austin, and they're still operating. And so you're talking about fans that are operational outdoors uh, that have been in operation for 23, 24 years. So that's amazing. And they probably don't get turned off very often. They're probably running well, most of no, the time. Only in the winter. It gets chilly in the winter here. But but um, uh, but yeah, you're right. But the point is that we weren't. I, I think it was odd. People imagine that that you know you have a customer, and every couple of years you sell them a replacement. But that was never our intent, and we made a big deal out of that. And and again, I think that that. That built a brand and that supported the the price differential that we demanded because people expected that that's what they wanted. So you have to know so who I your customer you, is. I think yeah, I, I think you've you've displayed some amazing insight there, which is you you seem to have always reacted to what your customers asking you to do and you renamed your company based on feedback you were getting. You adjusting your products and your service and all of those touch points according to your your customers tastes and then you're backing that up with a product but the product is almost the secondary part to that idea of how do people experience the product is your almost your ticket to entry and the experience of receiving the product, buying the product is actually what people ultimately take away with themselves of course if your product is subpar everyone will remember that. But if the product does exactly what it does, they're, they're almost never going to notice it. They're going to notice and remember all of the other other pieces. And that's almost where your brand comes to life and, and becomes real for your customers. No, it is brand. I mean, that's the, and, and that's the most interesting, exciting part of the company uh, because, I mean, fan i mean really an industrial fan it's not really all that exciting I mean, we tried to make it as exciting as we could but but that wasn't it you're exactly right i always had the feeling that people that uh, were buying from us imagined what li- what their work life would be like if they worked for our company i mean there was that sort of projection and i mean we had I mean, we did all sorts of things, but we had uh, on Friday afternoons, we had uh, when the work week was basically over, we had fight, donkey fights. They were little foam donkeys we threw at each other. It was it was just a and, and, and after a good sales day, we had an open um, uh, bar and it was basically just bourbon because we're from Kentucky. And so that's what Kentucky <laughs> and beer. But but the thing was, it was just a very, very I, I mean, we were dead serious about what we were doing. But you don't have to you don't have to drive people like cattle uh, uh, to get to that. I mean, it, it was a very interesting, very. Uh, I, I think it's the way. I always thought it was the way that that uh, people graduating college imagined that companies that it, they wanted to work for a company was like this because that's what I thought and that's kind of sort of the way it was built it was just this was I would like to work here and this is I want to make it so everybody else uh, feels the same way and I think we were able to do that in addition to that uh, another part of it was uh, and I think it was important though. 
maybe not as important as I thought it was initially, but uh, I sold the company for $500 million. And so I owned the, uh, the whole company. And, but out of that, uh, I wrote checks for 50 million, basically 50 million, a little bit more dollars to the people that, you know, that worked with me and, and we had various programs so that they could, um, take, you know, to take advantage of that. And that was one of the, that was a, that was a cool thing because there were some people that, uh, I mean, you make somebody a multimillionaire and that's a, that's a neat feeling. And, and, um, <laughs> and so I thought that that, and again, I think about it sometimes you go 50 million bucks. That's like, you know, that's a chunk of change, but it's like big deal. I mean, I mean, you know, uh, but it was worth it. I liked it. That's what I wanted to do. I did it elicit the, ultimately the behavior that I, you know, that I was, imagining i don't know i mean i always tell people and this is not a bad thing because i would do it exactly the same way uh if presented the same circumstances but i i got after all of that so this went to not to everybody in the company uh because it was a, a, a stock appreciation stock appreciation right so it's a stock option thing um close to 200 people um and i get exactly one Christmas card, which I think is interesting, but, and it's not a bad thing, but it, and what it tells you is I think we were successful in that, um, people felt like they had, that they had done something that was, that was useful and memorable and it was theirs. And on the one hand you think, well, is that really what, I don't know, but I mean, that's, that's the way people are. And, 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 and so I think it worked because they felt that, that, um, that they deserved it and, and they did. So it's sort of cool. In a I way. think you gave them the ownership of it. They, they felt that they were part of it. So they went on exactly. the, the deed of the company. They went the director, but they felt ownership of it. So there's a sense of, of uh, it's not like a gift that you gave them it was uh, uh something that they'd earned with time energy money uh, sweat tears all that that kind of stuff no 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 but you're exactly right and and that's a better that's good i mean that that is though i didn't recognize it in the beginning that's good that's you couldn't have a better outcome so that's very interesting so, so now, you know, obviously you've got the skill for, for finding, accidentally finding one great name. And now you've started <laughs> another company called Unorthodox Ventures, which is another quite obvious name. When you hear it, you get a sense of exactly what it is that the company does for a second time. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you, you know, like you, you talked about brand and, and the product, like you've talked about focus, you've talked about customer relationships, you've talked about uh, a customer, not customers, your your staff. How do you carry those learnings into backing other companies? So you're coming, finding other people who are coming to you asking for money, um, and they don't necessarily have, they haven't built up that brand or that experience yet. What is the, what are the pieces you look for in unorthodox ventures? Well, I think that uh, first, what we when we started the company, I, I imagine I having no experience in uh, venture capital or investment or anything like that, really. 
um, we imagined that we were simply going to invest in companies, I mean, uh, uh, startups, uh, that looked as if they had some potential. And there's various things you look for, the individuals, the products, the markets, um, the, the drive of the entrepreneurs. Um, but it became obvious to us after a short period of time that many, many, many of these, well, a couple of things became obvious. Many of these people had very little, they, they might have a great idea and they might be an incredible person. And a lot of them were and are, um, but they have absolutely no idea how to do what they want to do. I mean, absolutely none. And most, and while there are lots of uh, firms, VC firms, particularly venture capital firms that are willing to throw money at um, uh, at at these companies or these nascent companies. They're not even companies. Sometimes um, they didn't have the ability to actually help them in any way. I mean, they talk like they do. Like, oh my God, you know, we're we're you know we know lots of people. We'll give you help with marketing, with this, that, and the other. But they never do. And and if you talk to companies, young companies, they'll tell you if they've taken. Um, VC uh, money, they'll tell you, well, they, you know, they, they didn't really tell it. They told us we needed marketing, but that's about as far as they went. And the reason for that is that most of these uh, firms, these VC firms are comprised of bankers and uh, bankers. I mean, just think about your banker. Think about them. It, it, they don't know jack about business. And, um, uh, and they they don't they, they've never started a business they've never run a business all they do is move money around and they're very unimaginative people and we recognized that there were a lot of people with that were that were giving these young typically young um, uh, people money and not giving them any help at all and because there was a lot of money and is a lot of money out there we recognized that we were bringing a little bit something different to the party which was the people that uh, work for unorthodox ventures, most of them came from the fan company. And so we have, we don't have bankers. Well, we have one banker and we make fun of him all the time. Um, <laughs> but um, we have a lot of engineers. We have um, people that have worked, that have uh, built marketing programs, people that are uh, analysts in terms of uh, uh, statistical uh uh, analysis, uh, sales channel, all these different people that have done all these different things and did them for very successfully with the fan company. We realized that that's actually what these companies need because they have no idea. And, and, and all we can do as a company is we, we obviously have money and you do need money at some point when you're building a company. I mean, you just do because it's, it's, it's hard. Uh, to do it without the money. And I, I kind of sort of did it that way. And what it cost you is it cost you time. And the only thing that we can do, or the only two things we can do, is give a company's money, young companies' money, and time. And the way we, we handle the time aspect of it is we basically set up a project manager and um, a C-suite, if you will, for these these companies. And so you'll have a very intelligent entrepreneur, but she needs to, she needs to 
find somebody that's going to handle her marketing. She needs to figure out whatever the logistics uh, are going to be, the supply chain, the manufacturing side. And we've done all of these things. And rather than just throw money at her and say, okay, you need to do all these things, get to it. Uh, we'll check in on you later. Uh, we basically do that for a piece of equity, for a small piece of equity, relatively small piece of equity, we do these things. And the reason that that I think is interesting is that one, it keeps it, we actually, the object of the game from our perspective is to take the company to the break-even point. And, and normally you can do that if you've got a good product and a good uh, uh, entrepreneur and a good plan, you can do that within a year and you really can. Uh, but in our object is to take them to that point. And the reason that's important is one, at that point, she's making money or the company is making money. I mean, it can actually pay its own way. They don't need to raise any more money. And the importance of that is raising money takes a lot of time. And in addition to that, it, um, it costs the entrepreneur equity. And at the end of the day, one of the things that I think from, from my point of view that was, that was nice when I sold the company was it was all my money. And uh, I didn't have to call a bunch of bankers and write them checks. Uh, and so I think it's important that the entrepreneur maintain the, the majority of the equity, a large majority of equity, uh, and get to, to break even and beyond. And so that it's, it's, I don't know, it's just, if you're going to start a company by God, let's, let's get in there and let's do it. And I think that that's something that we offer that I'm sure other companies offer it, but I've not run into them. Uh, and I think that, um, that's what we're able to bring based on our experience. Uh, and of course, part of that is branding and some things are easier to brand than others. Uh, we are, I, I'll admit, we're, we're more interested in products and services that can be branded. And so they have to be, you have to be able to differentiate them. But can you, can you tell me what the elements of that are? So when you're looking at, uh, of course, these people come to you that don't necessarily have a brand yet, or they haven't invested in marketing. They've got a product that they've been working on. How do you recognize and what do you look for in those those companies? Like, what are those elements of something that you think is, um, in your words, brandable? Well, the the first thing I don't know. You could say one of the things is the personality of the entrepreneur, and sometimes that's very engaging, and it is. It, in you can't really do that brand the entrepreneur herself or himself without a product. Um, the product um, might be easily differentiated from other products, um, but the product has to have potential and it, you have to be able to make the product uh, better than anybody else or any other company has made it. Or, you can look for something else, which is channel. And so a lot of people imagine that, well, I, I have a good product, and so I'm just going to sell it the same way everybody sells. And, and that's just complete BS. You don't have to do that. We sold everything direct uh, at the fan company. 
And so we differentiated ourselves, not just in product, in, in the, the physical product, but we also differentiated with the channel that we used. And so I think it's very interesting. And a lot of the companies that we work with, well, I say a lot of them, but a, a number of them have the ability to sell directly to the consumer. And you think, well, okay, that's interesting. But what you're able to do if you don't just automatically say, oh, I want to put this on Amazon or oh, I want to sell this through some large retail channel is that the cost of doing that, I mean, it appears as if it's easy and it is, I guess, if you want to be a nobody, you can certainly do that. Um, but they, it, it costs a heck of a lot of money. I mean, uh, you're basically looking at giving up anywhere between 25 and 35% of your, of the gross to your distributor, to your channel. And that's ridiculous. And uh, so we're always interested in, and try to focus on, um, on the distribution channel, how you can do that uh, differently than it's being done uh, in the main. And a lot of it, and, and it's, we're very lucky um, now, uh, because you can sell it via the, uh, you know, there's all sorts of services that you can employ to sell it directly to the customer. And then you can, the entrepreneur can put that money in their pocket. Uh, and, and so there's a number of different things to look at that you can, there's levers that you can maneuver. Uh, but, but I would say that those are three that are, those are the first three you're, we look at wow. and and i mean of your of the companies that you've invested in like which which are the ones that that have have you've seen grow and and people should go and look at for examples of of really good companies who've started to build that brand one of them which i think is quite interesting um uh, is uh, is owned by and run by a woman um, and, uh, it's a bidet company. It's called Tushy. Uh, and it's very interesting. I've, I've always been, uh, enamored of bidets, um, because, uh, you know, cleaning yourself with paper doesn't seem like a really good idea. I mean, uh, especially if you've, uh, if you've been, um, uh, in countries in the East, typically where they have bidets. And of course they have them in in Europe as well, but to tell you the truth, I've never figured out how the hell to work one of those things. I don't even want to. <laughs> it's like, okay, I get it. I guess sort of uh, water's involved. Um, but um, but this company is a bidet company, uh, and uh, we we uh, invested in it. And fascinatingly enough, this whole COVID. I mean, there's no such thing as a. I mean every cloud there there's a silver lining and uh the whole covid thing here at least in the states with the um shortage of toilet paper really put an emphasis on um you know cleaning yourself with water versus at the toilet versus toilet paper and it's really that particular company has really taken off so so Tushy has been an, an excellent um, example of, of, I think, of the way we look at things. There's other companies that we 
have invested in um, uh, food companies and 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 uh, so forth. But uh, we're working with another another female entrepreneur, very very uh, interesting individual uh, that uh, is marketing a uh, a an I don't know, an implement, a a device, a stick, a drip stick, uh, for after sex, uh, because you know, as guys, I mean, you know, the the whole after sex thing involves rolling over, you know, and going to sleep. Um, but um, but uh, for women, it's a little bit more uh, messy, let's say. And uh, so this individual came up with a a means very simple very inexpensive means to for the woman to clean herself after sex and i think that that's a very interesting product because i think it's it's if if you're uh, married and i'm not saying you wouldn't know about it if you're not married but um but you you recognize that you know you're not doing your doing your thing is not really doing your duty and and the poor woman has is left with a little bit more than she possibly bargained for though <laughs> not unexpectedly but but uh rather than than deal with wet sheets or you know or having to get up and and uh, towel herself off that this is a way to handle that problem and i thought it was fascinating and this woman it's interesting that uh, she invented it, and there's not, there's not. I, I, I don't, I had never invented anything. I mean, I, I took things that other people had worked on, and I was able to, to work with that. But she actually invented this, and she gets. It's very interesting. It's very useful. It's very popular. But she still, just as we, uh, with the fans initially with the name, she gets all sorts of pushback, as you can imagine. And this is a. This is a natural process, but mm. even from Facebook, if you can believe that, because for some reason, I mean, you can show a, you can talk about condoms and you can even talk about, um, uh, you can talk about all sorts of things on Facebook, but apparently when <laughs> in certain aspects, if you mention the word sex, I mean, you're in trouble. Those guys are crazy. That's a crazy group. That's a crazy group. But anyway, so there's a number of things that, and again, I think that we're, we maybe are drawn to, and, and that's not all that we do. That makes it sound like we're only interested in, in a certain segment of the human body, and that's not really true, um, because we do have investments in food companies and things that are, you know, interesting, different, uh, but, but even there, uh, companies that are making the absolute best Whatever they're doing, they're doing it better than anybody else. And um, at least in the States, uh, don't have wide distribution. I mean, the product in general, not the specific product, but like we're working with a falafel company and and uh, that's everybody knows what it is. But, it, you know, it, it, it's not like it's it's they're not like hamburgers, you know, so or French fries. Kerry, I mean, uh, uh... Uh, I really enjoyed our chat. Um, thank you very much. Uh, I'm you. interested um, in this idea that, you know, I think there's lots for people to take here, which is 
thinking about your customers and, and their needs and how do you make that experience amazing. And that seems to carry through in a lot of the products that you, you, you will, the one that you built and then the ones that you're investing in. Um, and just before we close out, uh, I suppose now, how are you going to find your third company name that's both um, simple and brilliant and um, explains exactly what you do? I have no idea. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I'll tell you, though, the, uh, the, the, uh, what's, I think, fascinating. One, I think Tushy, the bidet company, I think that's cute. That's mm. neat. I think that uh, with the uh, young woman with the, uh, the drip stick, the name of her company is Awkward Essentials. And I think that's sort of, you know, there are other names out there. We just, I don't know, we'll, have, we'll just have to find them. We just have to be yeah. open-minded enough to know when it we It to be the key it. to success. Yeah, a name it might, it might be one of them. Might be one of them. <laughs> well, Kerry, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank um, you very much. Yeah, and, and we'll catch you in the next one. Bye-bye. Thanks, Guy. You take it easy. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We believe that sharing knowledge is an obligation. So if you know someone who's building a brand or needs some inspiration for their brand, please share this podcast with them. This is our third season, and we'd be grateful if you'd hit that subscribe button so you're the first one to know when a new episode comes out. Or even better, leave us a review and tell the world how much you enjoy listening. This really helps. One more question is brought to you by the people at NiceWork. NiceWork is a purpose-driven company helping people who want to make a dent in the world by building brands that people give a shit about. We're based in Johannesburg, South Africa and serve companies around the world. If you'd like to know more, partner with us or make a suggestion, reach out at www.nicework.co.za. And if you're one of those really old school people, send us a letter and we'll make you a mixtape.